Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. What is going on in college football as we move into preseason win total season? Where does your team stand? Today we'll take a look at some of the most intriguing win totals in the Southeastern Conference. It is February 13th, 2024, the last one on the face of this planet. And the first one in the new studio. If you're watching live on YouTube, welcome to the new digs. All right, this is going to be our home here for the foreseeable future with college football season, with spring football, with all that has to do with this sport. This is where we're going to be shooting our content, so we're glad to have you all in here, man. It's a, it's a new era. New era still getting the bells and whistles rolling. You got Nick Brake, who used to be to my right in the studio. Now he's to the left, so that will be a, be a good time we get to the question and answer portion of this. We got a lot to jump into, as we always do. We got win totals, like I just mentioned. The state of the Michigan and Ohio State rivalry. Think about how much has changed since clock hit triple zeros in Ann Arbor. Michigan's got a new head coach. Ohio State's got a new quarterback and a new offensive coordinator. There's been a lot of moving pieces within that rivalry. A lot of pressure in Columbus this year to win that football game. So we'll kind of take inventory of things from Ohio State side of things, from Michigan side of things. And also, I want us to take a look at what's going on in Big Ten country in Westwood. Yes, UCLA is now part of the Big Ten, and they just landed themselves a new head coach. Deshaun Foster was the running backs coach for the Las Vegas Raiders for all of like 12 days. Got offered the job to be the head man at UCLA. He said, hey, I'm a Bruin. Let's get this thing done. And uh, when you look at the reaction from the team when they announced that he was going to be the next head coach, I don't know if it's going to work or not. I got my thoughts on it that I'll give you here in just a little bit. But uh, you cannot put a price on buying. Looks like a whole lot of buying within that team with Deshaun Foster being the next head coach. We got that. We got 
thoughts on Florida and can they take the next step? We had one of you ask us uh, who could be a team or what are some teams that maybe are projected to be underachieving, but they end up being what last year's Missouri was, end up winning nine, 10 games. Got thoughts there. Also, another team in the Sunshine State with Miami. One of you asked, are they going to be a college football playoff team? We think there's a good chance. We'll give you our thoughts. Bottom line, there's a lot to get into. We want y'all locked in right here. We have a lot coming down the pipe here for you when it comes to spring football, when it comes to potential coaches' interviews. We're going to get lined up for y'all. Bottom line, want you subscribed to be a part of this going forward, okay? College football, y'all that are locked in right now, we said it earlier in the, uh, the offseason. This is junkie season, all right? They're not playing games right now. You know that, I know that, and a lot of folks know that that left the sport. They'll come back late August. They'll show up and kind of get a lay of the land. Us that are dialed in right now, okay, this is our time. We're, we're fiending for message board intel. We're, we're watching the transfer portal like a hawk because UCLA's portal window is now open. This is what we do. This is where we separate ourselves as the college football public by being locked in every single day of the year. Can't waste too much more time. Let's get right to it. What are the most intriguing win totals in the SEC? FanDuel put out some win totals. First things first, FanDuel, stop playing around. Sponsor the hard count. Right, moving right along. Got a few win totals I want us to unpack here together because uh, you look at these and it's, it's a new lay of the land. Like you see the win totals for teams like Texas, who we're not going to talk about right now. Uh, teams like Oklahoma, who are joining the SEC, who we will actually talk about. I want to start with Alabama, though. Their over-under win total is nine and a half wins. The post-Saban effect is looking like it's taking place here because Alabama was a college football playoff team last year. And now Vegas is saying, I will see if they win 10 games. And when you look at Alabama and the task ahead for them, I think there's some, uh, some fair conversation to be had about it being an uphill climb. Because last year's problem for you in key games, you think the Texas game, the Michigan game, if you're Alabama, how one-dimensional the offense ended up being. Jalen Milrow isn't incapable as a passer, but he wasn't super consistent. And then you lose some key playmakers like a Jermaine Burton, like an Amari Nyblack, like a Jermaine Burton, or excuse me, like an Isaiah Bond, already mentioned Jermaine Burton. Kalen DeBoer's system offensively, what he was so successful with at Washington that gets you fired up, assuming it's a version of that offense that Ryan Grubb ran and is going to probably take with him to Seattle. Um, whoever the OC is, the bottom line is it's probably with Kalen DeBoer's oversight. Maybe he's the offensive coordinator there too, and I, I think that would be the way that I would go if I were in Tuscaloosa. I digress. It was with a very different skill set at quarterback with Michael Penix Jr. than what Jalen Milrow brings to the table. It's not a bad thing. I'm just saying that's a very real thing you have to address now going forward in 2024. So what that probably means is you need to ask a little bit more of the defense to hold it down, early on at least, to get the offense rolling a little bit. Now the defense, while there's a lot of talent on that roster, pretty much top two classes exclusively in Tuscaloosa, thanks to Nick Saban, even with guys leaving through the portal, there's 33% returning production from a season ago. And the production, again, super talented, a little bit unproven, but the bigger part to me is the leadership you lost with that 33% returning. I mean, that's 66%, get, 66% uh, give or take coming back for you. Curious to see how that looks. Very curious to see how that looks. Now, Malachi Moore will be back for you, obviously, leader of that defense. The schedule for Alabama is not kind. You got Georgia, you're at Tennessee. Missouri, who's going to be a top 10 team, you're at LSU. I would anticipate that being a night game. 
in Baton Rouge. You're at Oklahoma. Who knows what they're going to be? And then you got Auburn in Tuscaloosa. And Auburn, quite frankly, feels like they should have beaten you a season ago. It took all the way to fourth and 31 in a superhero play that will go down in history in Tuscaloosa with Jalen Milrow to Isaiah Bond. So to go the, the over on nine and a half wins, you probably need to be four and two in that stretch. That's tough. It's a very difficult gauntlet ahead for Alabama. Very intriguing, though, seeing that nine and a half wins. So we'll see what happens there. Now, this was another one that kind of jumped off the page whenever you first saw the win totals or did this whole win total exercise. Oklahoma, their over-under win total is seven and a half wins. You saw this, and you saw that number next to that logo, and you're like, oh, easy money. Seven and a half wins? Oklahoma, outside of that first year for Brent Venables, pretty much wakes up, rolls over out of bed, and they win 10 games. That was kind of how they had gotten down over the course of the last few seasons under Lincoln Riley and this past season with Brent Venables once he got his feet underneath him. You take a closer look at this thing, they have 44% production returning back on offense. Got a new quarterback now in Jackson Arnold. Super talented, five-star cat out of high school. Saw some good things in the bowl game. Saw a lot of things that he needs to clean up. And the schedule itself is brutal, too. You got Tennessee, which will be a battle of five-star quarterbacks, Jackson Arnold and Nico Iamaliava, both from that 2023 class. You're at Auburn. Tough place to play, especially early. That'll be end of September. You got Texas in the Cotton Bowl. Pretty self-explanatory how difficult that will be. You're at Ole Miss. You're at Missouri, both going to be top 10 teams to start the year. You got Alabama, and you got at LSU to finish the season. So if you're Oklahoma, you're looking at this thing and saying, all right, welcome to the SEC, baby. Let's go. And to be, to be clear now, I tweeted about this yesterday, saying, hey, Oklahoma, their over-under win total is wild, and so is their schedule in the SEC. Like, I can't wait for this. A lot of the good folks in Norman responded and said, hey, we have no problem earning our keep. We have no problem earning our respect the first year in the conference. So the same sentiment that Texas had last year walking into Tuscaloosa, the same sentiment I think Oklahoma has their first year in the SEC, which is we want all the smoke. Bring it on. We're here for a reason. We're here for it. All right, let's roll. I think the defense is going to be pretty solid. 79% of the production is back from a season ago, including Danny Stutzman, including Jaron Kanick. P.J. Adebarare is going to be a stud. Like, he gets another year under his belt. I think the defense will be solid and continue to look Brent Venables-ish. The way that Oklahoma passes that 7.5 win mark is going to fall on Jackson Arnold. Can he find his mojo early and kind of get comfortable as the guy? You saw some good things in that bowl game, but again, you saw a lot of things that made it look like, all right, we got some work to do to get comfortable playing college football. The other part of this, though, for Oklahoma, Jackson Arnold elevating his game and being able to be a steady force for Oklahoma's offense is going to be huge in the sense that it's going to allow Oklahoma to play in different styles of games, most notably games where you have to trade scores. Look at that schedule. There's a lot of teams that you're like, okay, we may get in a shootout with these teams. Texas. You know what you're getting with them offensively. Steve Sarkeesian, Ole Miss, LSU, Tennessee. The bottom line there, if you can be able to be steady offensively based on what Jackson Arnold brings to the table, they'll be okay with that 7.5 win total. But I can't wait to watch it. I can't wait to see what happens there. Now, this is a really curious one that I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, Texas A&M, 8.5 wins is what Vegas is putting that over-under at. And uh, to Oklahoma was a team last year that sort of defied punchline culture and kind of made a lot of people look silly from receipts on Twitter from the year before. I wouldn't be surprised if Texas A&M has a field day with punchline culture. 
because everybody wants to talk about, well, well, Texas A&M, they got this much on the roster. They've underachieved this way, and they hired a coach from Duke. Like, say what you want right now. Get all the punchline culture takes off your chest right now because I think Texas A&M, we're kind of forgetting the fact that, that, one, they have a really good roster still in College Station. Two, they bring a lot of that really good roster back from a season ago with their top 20 uh, returning production in the country. Also, did we forget Connor Wegman is just a really good quarterback from what we've seen so far? I mean, we talk about the ability. We know that's there. Saw some really good things from him early on in the season before he got hurt. The schedule also for Texas A&M is not the worst thing in the world. You got no Georgia. There's no Alabama. And most of your big games for A&M, you get them at home. Notre Dame's at home. Missouri's at home. LSU's at home. Texas is at home. That game against Texas will be absolutely cinema. I can't wait for that. The thing with A&M now for me, like, the problem with them has never been on paper. It's never been about the roster or them not having the goods within what they do strategically at Texas A&M. Like, it's never been really about, like, the players and their talent level. The issue for A&M over the course of the last couple of years has been direction, has been structure, has been discipline, has been getting the most out of that roster. We'll enter into the fold Mike Elko, and I think he brings exactly what the doctor ordered for A&M. He is that culture. He is that toughness. He is that guy who's done more with less with what he, he was able to do at Duke. So I'm excited to watch it. I think A&M and that eight and a half number, I would not be surprised in the slightest if we sit here in December of this year and we're saying, yeah, A&M, 10 wins. They popped. They're in the college football playoff. They, they have that kind of ability on the roster, and Mike Elko, I think, has that direction for them. So that should be really intriguing, one of the most intriguing totals for us when it comes to uh, the SEC and some of these preseason totals. Let's talk about the Georgia Bulldogs here. Because Georgia, they have the highest win total tied with Texas in the SEC preseason, set at 10.5. And 10.5 and uh, feels high for some people, but you look at Georgia and like, I think we got to use the Kirby Smart gauge. Because 10.5 means they can only lose one football game and no more. Right, because eleven wins that would be eleven and one. If you lose less than that, you're at ten. You hear what I'm, or you lose less, than, you lose more than that. You hear what I'm saying? You lose uh, two games, you're at ten and two. You don't hit the over there. Got to use the Kirby Smart gauge when assessing Georgia here, because that roster I truly believe is as good as anyone else in the country. Also, you bring back Carson Beck for another year. The dude looked very good his first year in the saddle. Now he and Mike Elko or Mike Mike Bobo, excuse me, get another year to put it together. So much of college football is avoiding that letdown game. Like, it's not about who has the best roster week in and week out. Otherwise, it'd be Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, for the most part, every single year. But Georgia, and that win total to me is intriguing because if they're going to lose one game, one game impacts a Kirby Smart coached football team than it does other teams. Like, one loss for Georgia, to me, that impacts them a lot more like a polar plunge than a meltdown. Some teams, they lose one game, they start questioning themselves, they question the way they do things, they question each other, they question their culture. For Georgia, just what I said, it's a polar plunge for them. It's a hard reset. They lose one game, okay, hey, let's figure this out. Let's get back together. We got that out of our system. Let's go attack. Look at the last couple of years for Georgia. They lost the 2021 SEC title to Alabama. Polar plunge, reset, bounce back, win the national championship over Alabama. 2023. Not healthy. They're dinged up. They lose the SEC title to Alabama. They go to the New Year's Six Bowl and just absolutely beat the doors off of Florida State. It's a hard reset for Georgia. That's who they are. So if you're telling me you can have one loss and still hit the over on 10.5 wins, I like that a lot. I like that a whole heck of a lot. 
from a Georgia Bulldog fan. Last one I want to get to here, Tennessee. Over under eight and a half wins. A lot of eight and a halfs here for the good folks in Las Vegas. Very interesting path. Two over eight and a half wins. They have a dense schedule, not overly brutal. They have Bama. They're at Georgia, which are obviously going to be very difficult tasks in themselves. No LSU. No Ole Miss. They play Florida, but they play them in Knoxville. And Florida just has been a little bit of a, of a tricky task for the Vols over the course of the last couple of seasons. Uh, 94th in returning production is Tennessee. So you see their schedule. You say, okay, I, I guess I see a path there. Then you see how much they don't bring back. New quarterback in Nico Iamaliava. This, this number to me tells me two things about how Vegas perceives Tennessee. The first, they feel like with what Tennessee has on that roster, this schedule is manageable. That's how they feel about it. The second, though, they are accounting for Nico being that dude. That's the only way that I look at this thing. I think, I think they believe that Nico Iamaliava could end up being that guy that propels Tennessee to over eight and a half wins. Because 94th returning production, you would imagine that total to be a little bit lower. Eight and a half feels generous for a team that brings back not a ton on either side of the football. But we've seen how this offense can work when it has the guy playing quarterback. We saw Hennon Hooker run this offense to over 40 points a game and beating Alabama and having a tremendous season like We've seen what it can look like with the right pilot. Now, with Nico entering the fold, the top player from the 2023 class, I don't think it is a stretch to believe that that could be Tennessee yet again in 2024. So a lot of intriguing win totals out there. Again, FanDuel, get it together, sponsor the show. But uh, I'm excited to watch what these, uh, these win totals end up looking like and how we, uh, how we call our shot here when it comes to a little bit closer to the season. Again, these are not predictions. These are just talking through the win totals. We will give you predictions when we get closer into the summer and past spring football and have a better gauge for all the, uh, the roster movement ahead of us. But some very intriguing win totals. Let me know which ones that you're watching most closely. Now, we appreciate all y'all that are dialed in live. Make sure that you like the video. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel, all that good stuff. Because one of you hit me up on Twitter, at Judy Pakel, Joel Dobbins, and he says, what's a team that's predicted to go 7-5 and five or worse that will shock the country and win 9-10 games. Essentially, what Joel is asking here is, who's going to be what last year's Missouri was? i got a couple of teams here for you. This is a great question to get right now when it comes to projections of, of what Vegas thinks these teams are going to be. Nebraska, they're at 7.5 over-under win total. And uh, they're one of those teams that I think absolutely could be a, uh, a team that shocks the entire country. And the way they would do that is by expediting Matt Rule's process. Year one, it's always about installing the culture and your way of doing things. Year two is about learning how to win. But look at what Nebraska has coming back. Top three in returning production from a team that had five one-score losses in 2023. So I understand the schedule will be a little bit more difficult with the new Big Ten. But if we're going to call a spade a spade here, like Nebraska, if they go 5-0 and in those one-score games last year, they're a 10-win team last year. So just keep that in mind. Defense will keep them in a lot of games. I truly believe this. Tony White, one of the best in the business, man, calling that defense for Nebraska. They allowed 18 points a game. Again, they got a lot of those cats back. The way they get to double-digit wins, if they want to win 10 football games, they got to go from phase one to phase two of the Matt Rule plan, go from installing culture to actually knowing how to win and no figuring it out. No, I think this is how we're supposed to win football games. Got to find a way to have that killer instinct. When you're in one-score games, close you got to put that to bed. That's how you would do it. Double-digit wins is a lot to ask for. It's going to take a lot from your effort to be able to get to that number. The other part of this, Dylan Raiola 
if they're going to win 10 football games, has to be the starter, has to be that dude. This is no shade on anybody else on Nebraska's roster or on that quarterback depth chart, but like Dylan Raiola has the highest ceiling, I truly believe, of anybody else in Lincoln right now playing quarterback. And if you're going to win 10 football games, he has to get it and get it early. Now, again, that's asking a lot of a true freshman. I don't think that's the expectations I would go in with if I'm a Nebraska fan. But you look at their, their toughest games at Ohio State, at USC, at Iowa, has to probably be solid in those. But even more importantly, I think he has to be the difference in those swing games. The swing games being games against Illinois, UCLA, Wisconsin, among others. Like Dylan Raiola has to propel your team when it's a one-score game. It's back and forth. He has to be that playmaker for you or at least a big reason to why those other playmakers make plays. So, curious to see that, but I think Nebraska, if you're going to tell me they end up winning nine games next year, I wouldn't be overwhelmingly surprised, but I do think Dylan Raiola and this, this overall culture internally at Nebraska would have to take a massive step forward. Now, Kentucky, they're another team I'm watching here. Over under six and a half wins, so right around that seven and five projection is what you expect Vegas to give them. This feels like the Mark Stoops special, doesn't it? Doesn't it just feel like one of those seasons where he just kind of puts it together when everyone's talking about how Kentucky is down and how Mark Stoops almost took the A&M job and everyone's got these opinions on, you know, Liam Cohen leaving. I think the offense has more in the tank. I really do. I think Brock Vandergriff is one of the best-kept secrets in college football right now in the SEC. He was a five-star recruit in 2021. He was a top-five quarterback in that class. Just because you couldn't get on the field at Georgia, just because you couldn't beat out Carson Beck, doesn't mean you can't play ball. He's also got some sneaky uh, mobility to him, which adds something else to the offense. You add that in with the playmakers like a Dane Key, a Barry and Brown. Like, we've seen those dudes. When they're up and rolling, that offense is tough to stop. You bring in a, a Brock Vandergriff. I like Kentucky a lot. And also Mark Stoops with what he does defensively. I think they're going to be in good shape. So Kentucky, one of those teams that you could absolutely see shock everyone yet again and be a nine-win football team. It would not be the most surprising thing in the world to us here on this show, at least. Now, SMU. Entering into the ACC, over-under win total at 7.5, 11-3 last year. Look, the ACC is wide open. Can we all just say that? Like Florida State, as good as they were last year, a lot of question marks for them. Miami, they got a new quarterback. We'll see what they are this year. Clemson, I have a ton of questions about them. Louisville, they brought in a ton of transfers, new quarterback there. Like the, the ACC is very much so wide open. And they got a quarterback in Preston Stone similar to Brock Vandergriff, one of the best-kept secrets in college football. Him and Rhett Lashley together had a great year last year. They went 11-3. and They have real takeover potential Do the Mustangs. They got Florida State at home. They're at Louisville. No Miami, no Clemson, no NC State. Like, SMU could definitely be one of those teams that rocks the boat a little bit this year. Make some real noise. Keep an eye on the Mustangs now. I, I would not be surprised if they're in that double-digit win category in the ACC their first year there. Now, one more team to talk about here. Auburn, over-under win total at seven. This has been the offseason for Hugh Freeze of raising the bar. And we've seen it. He goes out and adds more players through the portal, not at the time of us being live. Goes out and gets a new D.C. and D.J. Durkin. Makes himself the new play caller on the planes. Like, I love everything about the way that Hugh Freeze has attacked this offseason because he keeps on telling us, listen, last year, 6-6, six and six, yeah, it's improvement from the year before. It's not good enough. It's not going to get the job done. It's not up to our standard here at Auburn. So you're an Auburn fan, you absolutely love that. I don't think you can ignore the flashes from last year if you're an Auburn fan. And yes, there was the New Mexico State game. That is a total black eye to your season. 
But outside of that, you delete that from the resume, and it's like, okay, you, you pushed Alabama to have a miracle play to have to beat you, which you hate that they beat you, but it took a miracle nonetheless. Okay, that's progress. No moral victories, but that is progress. Took Georgia down to the final possession, who really, I believe, was the best team in college football last year up to Michigan. That's progress. Like, you see the flashes. And you don't want to take moral victories again, but I do think you have to account for, okay, this, this thing is moving somewhere. There's some real, uh, real momentum here on the planes. Haven't seen it in the win-loss column just yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it in 2024. The million-dollar question is two things. Do those flashes turn into the new level of play for Auburn? Do we go from they show up big against these big brands to, no, they just show up every single week and they bring it to you? Is that who Auburn is? I think that's who they'd like to say in 2024. Also, does the quarterback position allow your offense to be multifaceted? That's a huge question here that we have. Peyton Thorne right now is expected to be the guy at Auburn. We'll see what happens after spring football. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Auburn dip their toe in the portal market if the right guy became available. But you can't be one-dimensional in the SEC. As good as Jarquez Hunter is, as good as Damari Alston is, as good as a runner as Peyton Thorne is, you have to have something else to be able to kind of uh, get them off balance in the line of scrimmage if you're Auburn. So Auburn definitely could be a team that makes that leap in 2024. I've actually been kind of pounding that drum for a while now. Auburn, I think, is set for a leap year as well as Nebraska, Kentucky, and SMU, all teams that would not surprise me in the slightest if they were to take one small step for mankind and one small, one small step for their football programs against double-digit wins in 2024. Now, speaking of uh, teams uh, making some moves here, how about UCLA acting fast? Chip Kelly informs the team on Friday, hey, listen, I'm leaving for another job. In a matter of, like, minutes later, he takes the offensive coordinator job at Ohio State. We'll talk about Ohio State-Michigan here in a second. First, though, I, I want to address the UCLA side of things. Because UCLA, I appreciated the fact that they went and found somebody who went to UCLA, who gets UCLA, and Deshaun Foster. For those of y'all that don't know, Deshaun Foster was an assistant at UCLA since, I believe, 2017. He took the running back job with the Las Vegas Raiders for, like, less than two weeks, gets offered the job to come back home, comes home, he's the man. And I'll say this, too, the way that the team received him when he walked in that team room, they announced their new head coach, and the team just mobs him. Like, again, I tweeted this out. I'm not predicting if it's going to work or not, but buy-in is a very difficult thing to accumulate. Deshaun Foster very clearly has the buy-in of this team, and I think that's massive. Also, sounds like Deshaun Foster is embracing the NIL perspective and the NIL landscape of college football. I love that. I think that's tremendous news for UCLA. I love the fact they went and got Deshaun Foster because Deshaun Foster isn't taking the UCLA job as a stepping stone to some other job. Like, Deshaun Foster is taking the UCLA job because I have to believe that was a dream job for him. You go and play in the Rose Bowl as a guy and be one of the best players to come through UCLA, like, and you end up getting the keys to the whole program, like, that's massive. So the investment from Deshaun Foster is real. It's authentic. That's something that's hard to account for in college football. And I, I want to make sure that we get this out there, too. Like, you can win at UCLA. And I know that sounds crazy based on, you know, the last couple of seasons for them. But, like, let me just be very, very clear. There is talent in California, and there is money in L.A. And if you win, if you give them a reason to give you money to help you land top talent, and you put a rope around the state, or at least Southern California, you can get the guys to win. Okay, I mean, the, the problem isn't that you don't have access to talent. The problem is you haven't really attacked the recruiting side of things probably as heavily as you need to. The other problem is you haven't won the recruiting battles you need to to get those guys to stay home. 
like, like the, the top guys typically will go to places out of state. Brandon Baker, great example. Goes to modern day high school, takes his talents to Texas. There is no way in the world that a team in Southern California in the Big Ten should let someone like that get out of the state. C.J. Stroud, Southern California kid, goes to Ohio State. We can keep going on the list here. Amon Ross St. Brown, another modern-day kid. He goes to USC. Not really a leaving the state kind of thing, but UCLA lost that battle, wasn't able to land him. So what I'm trying to say here is tons and tons of talent. If you can keep it in state, you can win. All right, now it's, it may not be the same as a state like Texas or Georgia or Florida. That's a whole other debate for another time, but I want us to be on the same page here. If you recruit California well, if you recruit the top percentile of that state, you can compete on a national level. That's going to be a major task for Deshaun Foster, his first season in Westwood. Uh, but overall, I, I was a fan of the hire. I was encouraged to see that if I'm a, a Bruins fan. Land in one of your own to be the head coach there. But with, uh, with every head coaching move, there's always two sides of the story. So that's the UCLA side of things with Chip Kelly leaving. But Chip Kelly is now going to be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. This is a massive get for Ryan Day. We talked about it a little bit as soon as the news broke. But having Chip Kelly being your OC in Columbus for Ryan Day to pass off play calling duties to somebody else. I said this before. I'll say it again right now on our live show. This is the first time we've gotten together since, the live, uh, or since that news broke in a live capacity. Like Ryan Day being an offensive guru, that was, that was kind of his calling card. That was his baby was calling plays. That was what he was known for. And so when you pass off that responsibility – Internally, there is a, a major trust factor involved with whoever you pass those play calling duties off to. Now, who better to pass the play calling duties to than someone who called plays for you as a quarterback at New Hampshire? And that's exactly who Chip Kelly was. He was his OC when they set records together at the collegiate ranks. So I love the trust factor there. I think that's massive. I also think from a personnel perspective, this fits exactly what Chip Kelly has done well with. Quarterback with some wiggle to him and Will Howard. Maybe not the, the burner of all burners, but a guy who can hurt you with his legs. you got to account for him. And then also not one, but two really good running backs to run those two, run, uh, to run those two back sets. Quinshawn Judkins, Travion Henderson. That's going to be filthy. going to be very, very filthy. So I'm excited for that. But let's take a little bit of a, of a deeper dive into this whole thing when it comes to the Michigan and Ohio State rivalry. Because the pressure on Ohio State, I think, is worth unpacking together. Because... What Ohio State's done this offseason, let's be clear, made a lot of high-profile moves. Put it another way, they made a lot of noise, all right? And when you make a lot of noise, you get a lot of attention. When you get a lot of attention, you get a lot of pressure, as if they needed any more pressure in Columbus, Ohio, as if they needed any more of a reason to have expectations as high as they are, which is always beat Michigan, win the Big Ten, win national championships. Going 0-3 in Michigan the last couple of years was enough to turn the pressure meter up to 1,000 hit 1,001 when Michigan ended up winning the national championship last year, and now you go and hire a Big Ten head coach from UCLA and Chip Kelly to call your plays. You land one of the best quarterbacks in the transfer portal. When your starter could have stayed on your roster, if you had told him you're going to be the guy next year, you go and land the best running back in the transfer portal in Quinshawn Judkins, the best player in the transfer portal in Caleb Downs, a lot of high-profile moves, a lot of noise. Okay, a lot of noise. And I said this yesterday, if it's not now for Ohio State, the feeling I think for a lot of folks in Columbus, fair or not, would be when's it going to happen? We just went and got this awesome OC. We got all these great players on our roster. Also, by the way, we bring back pretty much everyone on our defense. That was a top five unit a season ago. The pressure is enormous because of what they have in-house. Now, to be clear, they welcome that pressure. 
The feeling in Columbus is no pressure, no diamonds, baby. This is what you sign up to go to. This is what you sign up for when you go to Ohio State. And the thing that I love is everybody that is in the boat for Ohio State in 2024, they have all re-signed up for it. Whether it was Chip Kelly taking the job, whether it was the guys that got through the portal, or whether it was the guys that decided to come back for another year in Columbus. They knew what it was. <laughs> they weren't coming back saying, oh, I guess we'll hopefully win nine games and that'd be a good season for us. No, no, that they all have laser focus on the mission. And so the, the pressure is enormous, but again, no pressure, no diamonds. And obviously a ton of pressure, and the, the pressure uh, will reach a all-time high in that game the last week of the season at home. Decent chance we're there against Michigan. Now, Michigan, the whole thing with them is very interesting because coming off of a national championship run, you would think there would be that pressure to repeat. And there still is a ton of pressure. But I think in some ways, with the way that this rivalry is shaping up, there's going to be a lot more pressure on Ohio State. Like for, for Michigan, it's pretty much a new cast of characters in a lot of ways. Now, not to say there's not some key pieces back. Donovan Edwards, key piece, he's back. Mason Graham, Kenneth Grant, who's a stud in the middle for that defensive line. He's back. Will Johnson, Colston Loveland, like a lot of key pieces back. But returning production, Michigan is 128th in the country. 128th of 134 teams. Oh, by the way, new quarterback. Oh, by the way, new defensive coordinator in Wink Martindale. New coach in Sharon Moore. And so what I think you should uh, assess this season with if you're a Michigan fan, not to lower expectations, but I do think it's fair to have a fluid opinion of what Sharon Moore's Michigan team is going to be. Like the good news if you're a Michigan fan is you don't have to wait to see what Sharon Moore is going to be as a head coach. Like I think a lot of folks in Columbus have quite a few born-on-third-base jokes in the can that are waiting to use. I'm just telling you right now, I don't think those jokes apply here. <laughs> I don't think those jokes apply because third base doesn't look a lot like 128th returning production and your staff pretty much being rated by Jim Harbaugh as he moves to the NFL. That's not any shade on Jim Harbaugh. He just offered those guys a job to go coach at the highest level of football. So Sharon Moore, to be fair, I don't know if he's starting on first base, but I don't, definitely he's not starting on third. Definitely not just a ready-made situation to be successful. And so in some ways, while there's pressure of the Michigan brand and pressure coming off a national championship, I think Michigan has every freedom in the world to be exactly that. Play free. Feel free of these expectations that you got to be last year's team. Because chasing last year's team anyway is kind of a fool's errand. You're never going to achieve all that you want to achieve by trying to be that 2023 national title team. This is going to be a brand new team, brand new pieces. We'll see if they go after a portal quarterback. Brand new, I believe, identity in Sharon Moore, but still they're going to try and, I think, stick to the same pieces that were successful for them in 2023. And when I say pieces, I mean way of doing things. Like, you're not going to abandon your practice schedule that allowed you to a national championship. Sure, you tinker with it, you make it your own if you're Sharon Moore, but just so we're on the same page there. It's not going to be a situation where you walk out there, microwave, boom, win all your games, national championships just handed to you. Now, they may win the national title, they may win all their games, but it'll be a very different way of, uh, of getting it done based on this new production and based on their new head coach and new quarterback. So I can't wait to see it. But that game, man, the last week of the season in Columbus, Ohio, when those two teams square off, I am just, I'm fascinated to see where we are when that game arrives for both Ohio State and for Michigan. I would expect them both to be in a pretty good standing as it relates to the college football playoff and the Big Ten title race. But the pressure is all on Ohio State, and they welcome it. They know that. They signed up for it. They love it that way. And for Michigan, man, there's pressure for sure because of your brand. 
But the pressure, I think, they should feel pretty free from when it comes to having to recreate what last year was. Last year was last year. This year is this year. And it's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal game in Columbus at the Shoe. That's going to be one that's going to be box office in every sense of the word, man. I cannot wait for that one. Cannot wait for that one. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, speaking of fun, one of y'all got at me on Twitter, and I was looking for a clever segue into that and kind of butchered it. The bottom line here is follow me on Twitter, at J.D. Paquel, to be able to contribute to the conversation and to be able to add in and have segments like this during our show. Best part of this is hearing from y'all. People's College Football Show. You can't say that and not include the people in the show. Roy got at me, and he said, do you think Billy Napier takes the Gators a step forward in the right direction with the gauntlet of a schedule that they have this season? Very fair question. We'll answer it right now. But first things first, make sure you're subscribed to the On3 YouTube channel, College Football, every single day. Want y'all a part of it. Please and thank you. All right, let's roll. Uh, there is a world now, I want to make sure we're on the same page here. There is a world where Florida is substantially improved from a year ago. Like they have a better way of doing things. They're more disciplined. They kind of have a better mesh overall on offense and on defense. They're a much better team, but have the same record. That's not my answer to the question, but I need us to all be aligned. That's how difficult the schedule is for Florida. Context, context, context. Like seven wins, I think, for Florida is one, impressive, given what they have. Two, it makes Billy Napier in his job security, which everyone wants to talk about right now during the college football offseason, makes it more of a conversation, I think. I think eight wins secures his job. But it has to look a certain way, I believe, for, uh, for there to be some more satisfaction around that seven wins. Just look at what we got here. We got Miami, Texas A&M. You got UCF on the schedule. They're in the Big 12 now with K.J. Jefferson and Gus Malzahn. Like, honestly, who knows about UCF? You're at Tennessee. You got Georgia, and this is all in a row now. You got November 2nd, November 30th. Georgia, neutral site, at Texas, LSU, Ole Miss, and at Florida State. That is the Hunger Games for Billy Napier. That is the Hunger Games for this team in 2024. Make no mistake about it. Going 3-2 and two in that stretch, I think you can absolutely sell as progress, both to recruits and to the powers that be at Florida if you're on the keep Billy Napier train. Again, eight wins is that magic number for me to feel really comfortable about job security for him in the long term. But looking at that stretch, let's say you go out and you beat a Georgia and you beat Texas, close loss to Ole Miss, close loss to Ole Miss, beat Florida State. Like I think regardless of what happens before that, you would have to feel pretty confident about the direction of Florida under Billy Napier by nature of those wins. But how does that happen? How do we get to that situation where you're winning eight games or going three and two in that stretch? couple of things one I think the right things that you're doing behind closed doors if you are doing the right things behind closed doors I believe they are that has to finally transition to the field because there's a point in time whenever you take over a college football team that like you're grinding behind closed doors you're grinding you're planting seeds you're trying to do things the right way you're trying to work out the right way you're trying to put the right structure in place and you might do that for a full calendar year a full two years and not see the fruits of your labor that can't be the case in year three for Billy Napier. And the way that would show itself is in those close losses, in those close losses from last year that should turn into wins this year. I'm talking about the game against Arkansas where you got a chance to win the game and can't get it done. Game against Missouri, you got them on fourth down in the game and can't find a way to get a stop. It sounds overly simplistic and cliche, but it's 100% the truth. Those little things you do behind closed doors, they add up 
culturally, the details they add up, that has to be something that they are able to uh, use their advantage in 2024 to reach that win total they want to reach. The other part of this is they have to find a way or find someone on this roster to elevate them and be their change agent. And what I mean by that is when the roster is even, when the playing field is even, whether it's a momentum thing during a game or whether it's the score is tied, whatever it ends up being, you've got to have your dude that you go to that takes you to that winning level. Now that could be Graham Mertz taking a step forward another year in the system at Florida. That could be Eugene Wilson, who was an absolute stud as a true freshman in Gainesville. Whatever it is, whatever it looks like, you have to have somebody that elevates you to that next degree to be able to win those close games, to be able to win when the playing field is even. So the bottom line here is we have to use the proper context when we evaluate Florida. Just have to. And that sounds like I'm kind of copping out here for Florida. I'm trying to make an excuse for Florida. I promise you I'm not. I just think it's very, very raft to rely more on the eye test when we assess progress for Florida. Now, far be it for me to tell you they can't make a bowl game and win eight games. Like, I'm not saying it's not possible. But I am saying, relative to how you feel about Billy Napier in the long run, don't be married to that win-loss number. If you are, it's your criteria, that's fine. But talking about success of Florida in 2024, look at the win-loss number for sure, but then also look at the way they looked in some of these games. Now, if they walk out there against some of these teams and just don't even look, I mean, comparable, if it's just a, a clear like, hey, this is not going the right direction, then we can have a different conversation. But again, context, 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 and eye test is going to give us a lot of information in 2024. So appreciate Roy shouting us out here and giving us that question. That was a really good thought. And uh, fun to hear from y'all, man. Fun to hear about your thoughts on Florida and fun to hear about uh, where you think this whole thing is headed. So appreciate y'all getting after us there. Another one of you got at me and said, Big Love 78. Also, great, great handle here from Big Love 78. He says, is Miami a college football playoff team in 2024? Now, we have to reset our, uh, our way of thinking yet again and understand our, our playoff field this year. It's no longer that four-team deal. It's a 12-team operation here in 2024. Regardless of how you feel about it, that's the truth. I think it does help Miami in this sense. The over-under win total for them in 2024 is 9.5. Now, to be clear, I think 10 wins most places should be good enough to get you in the dance. Is 10 wins good enough to win the ACC? I don't know. But if you win the ACC, you are in that deal. Make no mistake about it. And Miami last season, I keep using this qualifier as much as I hate it, but we got to do it anyway. Miami was a knee away. A knee away from being 8-4. and four. Now, that's all woulda, shoulda, coulda talk. I understand that. They went 7-5. and five, But just, just so we're on the same page, they were almost 8-4 and four last year. Instead, they went 7-5, and five, still progress. But what I said earlier in the show, what I've said throughout the course of this offseason, I still wholeheartedly feel in my soul. The ACC, man, God bless them. It's wide open. It's, it's, it's anybody's game. And I love Florida State. I love Clemson. I love NC State. I don't know what I'm getting in any of those teams this year. Louisville, I mean, they got double-digit transfers yet again. The Brom squad, man, given that whole team a makeover yet again. Tyler Shuck running back for year seven. I don't know what they're going to be. Same thing for Miami, but I do know they got a quarterback now that has a ton of ability. Now, he struggled with some fumbles last year, but in terms of what he does throwing the football downfield, much better than what you had in-house. So what I'm feeling here from Miami, what I'm feeling if I'm a, a Canes fan, is I think we got a guy who can uh, 
propel this offense to look a lot more like Shannon Dawson's style of offense than what we had a season ago. And when you got a quarterback now, we say it all the time on here, if you've tuned in for any length of time, you know this. If you got a quarterback, baby, you got a chance. Miami's got a quarterback. Now, how does he fit in this system? How does he acclimate? It's obviously a huge part of this. What do they do when it comes to helping him with weapons downfield? Also a big part of this. But based on last year's nucleus and in installing Cam Ward into that, I have some cautious optimism. Now, speaking of nucleus, a lot of young talent on this team from Miami. You got a 2023 class that contributed in a big way last year. Right off the bat, Francis Malagoa just absolutely abusing people when he got out on the screen plays or in the run game. Like, he was a dog. It's fair to say he was one of, if not the best player on Miami's roster last year. Ruben Bain, another cat that wrecked shop on the defensive line for them. Like, they got some young talent in that 2023 class that was top 10 in the country that maybe you didn't see on the field last year, but they're going to cycle up. They're going to have a chance to contribute in 2024. So I think overall, the talent level, the headline with Mario Cristobal, when you hired him was, he's going to be a dog in acquiring talent. And who's to say he's not still going to be a dog in that second portal window? Could see it happen. Just saying, I could, I could see it happen. Now, here's the biggest part to me. Here's the biggest excitement factor for me when it comes to Miami. And this, we, I mean, we said this when Mario Cristobal got hired. We've said it ever since. He's a guy that knows what it's supposed to look like. He knows what it's supposed to look like in Coral Gables. Why? Because he's been around it. He is loyal to the soil. He grew up around Miami. He went to Miami. He knows what that thing looks like when it's buzzing, when the standard is where it's supposed to be. And so for Mario Cristobal to have seen that, it's much easier for him to implement that and get that installed correctly. Now, I don't think anyone on staff would tell you last year it was properly installed or it was where it needs to be. But it's much more of a confidence for me, knowing that you have somebody there that's been there, done that, seen that, and now elevating his team to get there. It's a story that sticks out to me probably from a couple of years ago about Mario Cristobal in Miami. They were going through, I think it was uh, during spring football, maybe his first year there, and they're going through a scrimmage, and they have a solid play downfield. I want to say it was either a touchdown or it was a long gain, and Mario Cristobal tells the ref, hey, drop the flag. I'm sure the ref was probably like, what? And he's like, no, throw, throw a flag on that play. He's like, there was no penalty. He goes, no, I know. Throw the flag. Bring it back. And the reason why he did that wasn't because he thought there was a penalty on the play. The reason he asked the ref to throw the flag was because he wanted to build his team's response mechanism. He wanted to see what they did when they were met with a negative circumstance, when they had to respond, when they had to find a way, who were they going to be? Now, again, I don't think they're there just yet based on last year. But given their third year now to install that culture, given the talent they have on this roster, and given just the huge question mark that I think the ACC is, and given a quarterback now that can really make something happen for you, I'm excited about Miami. So if you get the over on that 9.5 win total, I think you stand a pretty good chance to be in that 12-team playoff. Heck, if we were to make our call today, I'd have a hard time not putting Miami in the ACC title game. Maybe we pick them to win the whole thing. I don't know. But the bottom line here is Miami is continuing to trend the right direction. A lot of folks have a take on Twitter, have their opinion out there. Guess what? Twitter's not real. Twitter's not real. What happens between the white lines, that's what's real. And Miami, I believe, is continuing to trend the right way between those white lines. So can Miami be a playoff team? I don't see why not. I don't see anything standing in the way of getting that done. So let me know on Twitter. Let me know on Instagram. Again, where things are not real, but we have a real conversation there. At Judy Paquette, let me know how you feel about the Canes in 2024 and their playoff chances.
How about it, huh? Great day, great day to be alive, great day to have y'all a part of the show, man. What we try and do is bring a mental vacation to y'all when it comes to what this show is. You got a lot going on. You got work, you got family, you got personal things going on. Valentine's Day is tomorrow for all my guys. Shout out to y'all, get your girls some roses. Uh, we got a lot going on in life. This is a place where we want y'all to be able to kind of exhale, talk about the greatest sport in the world, enjoy some communal back and forth, and just have a good time. So we appreciate y'all being locked in. Hey, very excited to let y'all know this show, The Hard Count, is brought to y'all by some of our new friends to the program, good people over at Manscaped. Now, Manscaped got a ton of tools for y'all to use. I'm a big fan of their facial products, all right? Now, for me, I shave right before the show, shave my face, that is, right before the show, like probably a good, like sometimes it's five minutes before we go on air. I don't have a ton of time to really look through all the places under my chin and right above my nose. Like, I got to make sure that we're having the right razor to get that done. Manscaped, I'll tell you what, the best product in the business to get a nice shave you want. It's not going to give you any nicks as you go through. You're not going to have any cuts that you walk into, you know, your date or your YouTube show that you end up doing about college football and have some blood running down your cheek. Really good product. High-end, top-of-the-line. Manscaped will take care of you. So, a uh, little, little gift for y'all. Redeem code HARDCOUNT for 20% off your first purchase. Again, that's H-A-R-D-C-O-U-N-T, HARDCOUNT, for 20% off your first purchase at checkout over there with Manscaped. So check out Manscaped. Great tool. Uh, appreciate them making this show happen and uh, bringing, uh, bringing the good product to y'all. Speaking of a good product, speaking of just a good man, good people program. Program of the people, uh, the people's program, whatever kind of tongue twist you want to throw in there. How about that guy, Nick Brake? Nick, new digs today. You're looking good. You're feeling good. How are we doing, brother? This feels really weird over here. I know, dude. We're just looking at each other now. There used to be a wall between us. Yeah, I still am staring at you via the monitor, obviously. You're, you're looking the other I way. Know. I know. It's a bad habit I got to break. <laughs> I mean, there used to be a physical wall there. There was. Here's my, there here's was. My, is there an emotional wall there right now? Or are we? <laughs> There's what, not an emotional wall. Okay. I, hey, I, sorry. I wanted to ask. No, today's a, to, it's a, actually a great day today because <laughs> Jay Floyo 11 is back. I saw that, dude. He was blowing <laughs> up the chat to start it. Yeah, I think I counted like 25 consecutive messages. So, Jay Floyo, we're glad you're back. We're not glad you have COVID, but we are glad no, to, yeah, not, to not, see not, you here. Not hyped about that. Um, since it's Jay Floyo's return, um, I'll go with his question first. He said, J.D., who wins the Heisman? Just give me, give me just one player. His shot. One player, J.D. And I'd love to see everyone in the chat say their one player that they would give to the Heisman. J.D., if you had to choose today, who do you call? If I had to choose today, like, good odds, I would take Carson Beck because he's, he's going to light it up. Georgia's going to win a whole lot of football games. You want to hear a fun one, though, Nick? Want to hear a fun one that I think would probably get the people going a little bit? Let's hear it. Why not Jackson Dart, dude? Hmm. They're going to score a lot of points. In the 12-team playoff, maybe that widens the margin a little bit for how we evaluate the Heisman. Give me Jackson Dart, dude. Sick eye black over the face, the Anakin Skywalker deal he's got going. Kind of looks like Anakin Skywalker with the flow from Episode 3. Like, Jackson Dart will be very early on on my, uh, my Heisman odds or my, my Heisman uh, power rankings. Mm -hmm. One more fun one, Dylan Gabriel. He's going to put up numbers like Goodwill Hunting. That offense is going to play to his skill set. He's left-handed Bo Nix. I love him in that Oregon offense. Those are my top three to start. But uh, probably the best odds you would get, like the best uh, bang for your buck, Jackson Dart. 
probably best odds preseason would be Carson Beck in terms mm-hmm. of like closest odds. Yeah. You know? Well, um, OG Gary says Nico. Dude, talk about hey, that'd be some good odds right there. You get yeah. Nico Iamaliava. Yeah, Big Joe know? says Dylan Raiola. That's a quick one. That'd be a fast one. Sheesh. And then Jay Floyo says the force is with you. Also with you, Jay Floyo. Yeah. <laughs> um, Nick, next what's question. Your, what's your metachlorine count, Nick? Oh, dude, it's through the roof. Is it really? Not even Master Yoda has it as high as I do. You're, are you with the dark side, though? No, no. Are you sure, dude? I will look. I can't tell. Everyone has to resist the urge to go to the dark <laughs> side. Um, but I am a huge fan of Star Wars, as you can probably tell. I love it, man. I love uh, it. Next question coming from King Epic. J.D., who, if anyone, do you think will be the new team to run the Big 12 the way Oklahoma did in the last 20-plus years? Hey, we're aligned here, Nick. Yeah, we are. We're, we're in lockstep here, baby. The Utes, baby. The Utes. I, you just you know what you're getting with Kyle Whittingham. You know what you're getting. Like that, like that meal you order at your favorite restaurant every single time, you know it's going to be good. You know it's going to have what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And you know the floor for it is extremely high. That's Kyle Whittingham. Now, they bring in Cam Rising for another year. He said run that back, Turbo. Um, but, I mean, even when he leaves, I feel confident they're going to recruit well. And when I say well, well to their system, it might not be all the five stars, but it might be, you know, that high three-star, that guy that's a two-star that fell off a lot of people's radar, and they landed him and made him an all-conference kind of player. Like, that's just how they get down. So Utah, I think, is absolutely one of those teams going to be – up there for the, the Big 12 takeover. Now, if we were in it for clicks, if we were in it for the clicks, we'd say Colorado. We did not say Colorado, so we're not in it for clicks. How about that? Hey, how Arizona about could be one of those two. I mean, mm-hmm. Texas – oh, dude, Texas Tech. I love Texas Tech. Joey McGuire is building an empire out there in Lubbock. Is it as wide open in the Big 12 right now as you think it is in the ACC? Uh, it's, I would say more wide open. More wide I, open. I, I That's think awesome. For, I think for the ACC – as wide open as it is, I still probably have a group of like four suspects between, mm-hmm. and I'll miss some here, but we'll just rattle them off. Miami, Clemson, Florida State, NC State will probably be, I mean, Louisville maybe. So like, yeah, you have your same four or five. For the Big 12, you can make a case for a lot of these teams from Utah to Arizona. Who knows what Colorado is going to be? And I'm not calling my shot for Colorado, but if we're going to cover all our bases here, like, Who's to say Shadour Sanders and that team don't elevate in 2024? Um, Texas Tech, like we we got TCU is shown they can pop Oklahoma State. Like we go down the list there. I think I think the Big 12 has more teams that would not surprise me if they won that conference. You know, yeah, absolutely. JD, uh, a couple more interesting points in here. Um, Jared Stidham, I love this question. JD, what wide receiver is going to be the face of college football like Marvin or Rome was last year? Ooh. I'm assuming we're talking 2024 here. Yes. Because my answer would have been Jeremiah Smith, and he might end up being the face of college football anyways. Well, I think it could be any player on the board, but honestly, he may be just next year already. He might just be that yeah. dude. Like, we <laughs> sat here with Charles Power, and he's like, Marvin Harrison Jr., real good. Jeremiah mm-hmm. Smith, at this stage of the game, better than where he was coming out of high school. And I was like, oh, shoot. All right, Charles, talk that cash. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other, other guys here that could be – could be the face. I mean, I, I, think, uh, I think Isaiah Bond at Texas is going to be phenomenal right from the jump. I'm sure I'm missing somebody here that I'm being put on the spot and, and just missing outright. So I'm trying not to do that right now. Evan Stewart at Oregon is going to be a dude. I mean, he's going to pop in a big way next year in that offense. I'll, I'll, go ahead, I'll say Evan Stewart right now because they're going to feed him. But I think Jeremiah Smith long term is uh, 
he's got next, the next great one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, OG Gary, uh, we're going to go back into the um, discussion for a little bit with the NCAA versus Tennessee. How, how worried should we be about the change that's coming with college football because of this? Aren't teams going to have structured contracts? Or are, excuse me, are teams going to have structured contracts and buyout fees to deter um, overruns from the other schools? J.D., are you worried, or do you think this is going to blow over? Do you think this is going to work out well for college football or not? I think it's going to force some change. And I think, as with any change, you're going to have some division on that. I, th I think change is going to make some people happy, and it's going to also burn quite a few people in the process. Now, what that looks like specifically, we're going to have to wait and see because we just, quite frankly, don't know what we don't know at this point in time. I do think change overall is going to get us to a better place than where we are right now because it's very obvious the way things exist right now with how aggressive the NCAA is being with their investigations and trying to make a, a case, like that's, that can't stay the way that it is. And we've already opened Pandora's box with the attorney generals going to court with them. So I think, uh, like, like we just uh, said a second ago, there's going to be change, and that's going to rub different people different ways. But overall, I think it will be a net positive when we look back on the sport in 10 years. Okay, really good. That's good. Okay, good stuff. make me feel better. Oh, I um, appreciate it. <laughs> a couple more questions to right, get to. You know? hope I hope I'm right you are. Here. I think you are. I think you're right. I agree with you. Um, Timothy Hunt, uh, what are your thoughts on the Sooners in the first year uh, in the SEC? Hashtag Boomer Sooner. We talked about them earlier, J.D., but let, let's get to it one more time. Oklahoma, you've got a positive I mean, the vibes right? are you've good. You've got a positive vibe. Vibes are good. It's just so funny because you see that over under wind total and you're like, that logo, that wind total don't usually go together. You don't usually see that at this point in February when we're talking about, you know, preseason wind totals for teams. I just think so much of it comes down to Jackson Arnold. Like that is cliche to say because he's the quarterback. So there's kind of a no dust statement baked in there. But at the end of the day, man, like the defense is going to be able to keep him in a lot of games. The defense with Brent Menables running the show, with the guys they have coming back, 79% returning production. They're going to be in good shape there. But with Jackson Arnold, he has to be able to keep this offense multiple and allow them to play in styles of games where they got to trade scores. When they're trading scores with Ole Miss, can you go blow for blow? When you play against LSU can, and they score seven, can you answer with your own seven? Like Games like that, if Jackson Arnold can allow them to win a few of those, they're going to be just fine. And I think just fine is probably the label I'd put to them over the course of the next couple of years in the SEC. I don't think they're going to have this massive issue, this massive fall off and be a, a bottom tier SEC team as some folks would like to believe they're going to be. Don't think that's the case for them. But overall, like in year one, Jackson Arnold holds the key to all their success. And quite frankly, that over under win total of seven and a half. JD, there is a program guy in the chat. So before we get out of here, I think um, some shout-outs are in order for our buddy uh, Cody Belair. Dude, best in the biz. <laughs> you're, the, you're the ultimate program guy. Best in the biz. Yeah. Man. We, one, we appreciate that, Cody Belair. If y'all don't know, Cody Belair, Charles Power, nobody better when it comes to the scouting and ranking process in our industry. I'm telling you what, they're the top dogs. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Cody Belair, got to give him a program shirt, man. We texted the other day about getting a program shirt to him, and it's only right that the program guy, Cody Belair, has a program shirt. So we're in the process of getting that done. But Cody Belair, man, I'm telling you what, nobody better. No way around it. Nobody better. Man, uh, we've got two more shows this week. So uh, what do you say? That's it? talking more then? Yeah, do I, I don't think there are any more questions. Phenomenal. Hey, um, first, uh, first, first one in the new studio, man. How would it feel? It felt good. It's weird. Um, 
you know, this will be our studio. It's like it's technically a temporary studio, but we're going to be in here for a long time, so it really yeah. isn't. So uh, it's exciting to go look down the hall at our new studio that's in construction, but I think this one's going to do do the job and more and then some. A lot so of uh, I'm excited to be here. A lot of good moments, a lot of good content going to be shot in here over the course of yeah. less than a year, but the next college football season probably we anticipate, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be, be the next one. J.D., okay, look, I was going to get out of here early, but Ferris Khan had a question. Ooh. Um, Noah's brother. You fine if that? You yes, fine if you get to that? Okay, yes, sounds good. Noah so, and Genghis. <laughs> Genghis Khan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think it is likely that Michigan, Ohio State, and Oregon all make the playoffs and go 11-1, and one, or excuse me, and go 1-1 one and one against the other two? The one that does not go to the Big Ten title game might be better off than the others. That's a really interesting that's a really good. That's a really good question. I think uh, – I don't know if better off is the verbiage I would use just because if you're in the Big Ten championship game, given the divisionless structure of it, I think you're in the conference, or excuse me, in the college football playoff regardless. Now, the conference champion obviously gets a bye, so keep that in mind. To answer that question, I, I personally, I'd be surprised if we're not sitting here early December and talking about all three of those teams, Michigan, Oregon, Ohio State, being in the expanded college football playoff. So any way you draw it up, Maybe you're happy to play less games and save the body a little bit. I don't know if you're happy to not win your conference and, and get a bye, but overall, I see where he's coming from. I do think all three of those teams, as we sit here right now in February, have a have a very real case, a, very, a pretty strong likelihood to end up being in the dance when we get to 12 this upcoming year. Yeah, absolutely. Good it's going to be 12 teams. Yeah, the, the, the door's certainly open for multiple teams in those two big, big, big conferences. Propped open. Yep. Just they got a doorstop. No key card necessary. You just got to – you just <laughs> yeah. walk right in. The doorstop. You know? Yeah. Doorstop. It's doing stuff. the job. Yep. Well, Nick, same time tomorrow, brother? Same time tomorrow. Heck of a job, man. Running, we'll see you then. Running the new spaceship. That's the man, Nick Drake, <laughs> man. Making it, making it all happen. Punching the show live, getting the questions, throwing up the lower thirds for the ad reads. Just Swiss Army knife, man. True, like, like Travis Hunter plays both ways. Uh, Nick Brake plays like – both ways and then he plays special teams and then he also kicks and returns his kicks so appreciate nick break ultimate program guy making this thing happen hey appreciate y'all being dialed in man like i said we try our best to make this like a college football communal safe space for all of us to just hang out talk some ball celebrate the sport that we love exchange opinions exchange takes and have a good time doing it man this is everything that we love about college football we talk about it right here so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a minute of it Tell a friend, man, enjoy this. Enjoy this Tuesday. Same time tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern. Same time tomorrow on, uh, or same time as well on Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Bottom line, we love y'all. We appreciate y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling, and we will see y'all. is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit 
FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York.